Whenever I was in high school, segue, whenever I was in high school, there was a day that I wanted to drive to a swim party that was at a home of uh, a church member, the church I attended, and it was a swim party for the students that were in the church that I was a part of. And so um, I was, my plan was to leave the house, hop in my 1984 gray Honda Accord. Um, it wasn't in the year 1984. I'm not that old. Um, it was 1994 when I hopped in the 84 gray Honda Accord. Anybody else have a car that was like 10 years old or so whenever you got started? Awesome. And so I was going to hop in the car and just drive to the swim party, um, but my mother's Oldsmobile Cutlass was behind my car, and there were no keys around, and my mom wasn't around. But I thought, well, there's enough space to get between, um, to get around my mom's car and, and be able to just go to the swim party. And so good news is there actually was enough space to avoid my mom's car. The bad news is there was not enough space to avoid my mother's Oldsmobile and avoid the red post under the carport. So I hit the post, red paint on the side of the gray door, and you're like, Ben, the car's 10 years old. Who cares? I care because I wanted to be the perfect child. Okay, I didn't want to be the perfect child. I wanted to appear to be the perfect child. And so there's red paint on the door, but I've got a plan. I'm going to, on the way to the party, I'm going to stop at the local drugstore. Our local drugstore where I grew up was called K&B Drugs. What was yours? Just give me your, like, wherever you kind of grew up, where did you go if you needed anything? Same? Anybody? All right. All over the place. But you had that place that if you were in a bind, and I was in a bind, you had the place where you could go. And so I'm, I go to K&B Drugstore. It's starting to get dark by this time. And I decide that I'm going to go into the spray paint aisle, grab some spray paint, come back. My parents will never know. I'm going to cover this up. It's going to be awesome. So I go to the spray paint aisle. They don't have any more gray spray paint. But let's be honest. Black and gray are in the same color family, are they not? So there's no gray spray paint. Remember, it's dark at this time. All right, just give me an out. Um, so I grab the black spray paint. I come outside. Again, it's dark. And I shake it up real good because that's important for some reason. And then I just begin to spray. And it is amazing. Like there's no red paint anywhere. And it all looks just like it's supposed to look. So I go to the swim party. Uh, that night I sleep in peace. Like I'm not even worried about a thing. Like, you know, I've, I've got that smirk. If you're a parent, you know what that smirk looks like. I got away with something. I go to sleep in peace. And I'm still sleeping the next morning when I hear the familiar voice of my father from down the hall. Benjamin, that's bad already. You know, like full name. Don't go middle name, dad. If you go middle name, I know what this means, but Benjamin, come here. Walk down the hall and uh, just like, he's like, come here again. So we open the front door. We go outside, go around to the side of that gray 1984 Honda Accord. And what had looked amazing amazing the night before looked terrible now like this massive black cloud like there was you know eight times the size of where the red paint was like just huge and we just looked at it you know I was hoping he was calling my name to tell me he had gone to my favorite donut shop anybody have a favorite donut shop speaking of ours was Shipley's like I just want chocolate filled Shipley's but he was not waking me up to tell me the donuts were here he's waking me up to tell me that I'm a moron I'm a moron. So the red paint's on there. It's not that big. In my mind, it was huge. So I tried to cover it up. And then I tried to cover up everything that I had done. Here's the thing with all of us in our lives. There are things that each of us have done that we hope no one ever sees or knows. Every single one of us in this room. In fact, if we were to play the worst 10 minutes of your life in movie form, you, or if it was me, we would take off running, right? If it's your movie, I'll sit down and get some popcorn, right? The rest of us are like, oh, this, is good. this is better than a sermon pastor, but if it's your movie, you're out of here. I'm out of here. I'm no longer the pastor here, right? I mean, we're just done because we all have these things in our lives. 
But what, what happens when we get exposed and someone does see us or we think someone sees us or we think someone will find out or even if no one ever knows, we know there's this painful emotion that may be as painful as any emotion we've ever experienced in our lives that begins to set in. And it's the emotion called shame. It's the emotion of shame. If you weren't here last week, we kicked off a brand new series called Never Go Back. And the question we're asking in this series is this profound question. What is present in your life that could hijack God's vision for your future? What is present? What is in your life today that if you don't walk away from it, you know that the trajectory of your life isn't going to match the trajectory of what God intends for you? And every one of us, we said, has something or probably some things in our lives, some character qualities, some habits, some patterns, some go-to responses that if we keep doing them, if they stay in our lives, we're going to miss out on what God's purpose is for us. And let me just say this right from the get-go. If shame is pervasive in your life, you will miss out on what God has for you for all kinds of reasons. Let me give you just a few. First is you'll never get close to God. If shame's pervasive, you will never come close to God. You will keep your distance. You might do some religious stuff. You might serve in this church. You might preach a good message from this stage. You might be part of the worship band. But you'll never come close to the heart of God because you don't think it's possible. And in some way, you think if you don't get close, he won't know who you really are. Another thing that will be true is that you'll never come close to other people. You'll never really live in community. You might act like you're friends with people, but they'll never know the real you. You could be married for 25 years and still not be really close to your spouse because you've determined, no way, sir, no way, ma'am, you will not get to know the real me. And you'll never go for it because shame holds us back from attempting the kind of things that we think are only for people who have it all together. And by the way, no one has it all together. And so we do a lot of things with shame. Brene Brown, who's an author and a social work researcher, um, she's written a a lot about this that's been really clarifying for me. But here's the kind of simplified way she thinks about guilt and shame that's helped me. She says that guilt means that I have done something bad. Guilt can actually be a positive emotion. We don't love the way it feels, but it leads us to making things right. It leads us to reconciliations. It it leads us to asking uh, for forgiveness. Guilt is... I have done something bad. She says shame, on the other hand, the way she sees it is I am something bad. That that shame isn't simply I did something wrong. It's that this is who I am. It gets to the the heart of my identity, who I am, what, what I am, and really, let's be honest, what I'm not. That's what shame speaks into. Shame is this powerful emotion. It makes us feel like we're not worthy. Um, Shame keeps us from being able to look each other in the eyes. Shame even keeps some people in this church from ever joining the groups that we're uh, rolling out today because you're like, there's no way I'm going to sit in a living room with 15 other people and take a chance on, what if I say something that tells about who I am or what my past is? And so we stay away even from community because our shame is so thick. And here's the reality, because our shame is so thick is the reason we need some community. We need to be fully known. We need to be fully known, not only fully known, but fully known, fully loved, fully cared for and supported. But shame keeps us from that. It does. And there are all kinds of sources of shame. Uh, Our past is a huge source of shame for us. How we perceive our physical appearance or our actual physical appearance, that's a source of shame for us. Our lack of success can lead to shame in our lives. The things that we don't possess or don't possess yet can bring shame in our lives. Our habits and addictions that we're all too familiar with can bring shame in our lives. And one of the greatest sources of shame for us um, are the words and opinions of other people. There's still, for some of us in this room, the voice of a mom or a dad or a coach or a pastor or what we thought was the voice of God that just sort of labeled us and we can't get away from it. 
But let me tell you a huge source for people like us who are at church, who want to do the right kinds of things, who want to try to follow Jesus, if that's possible for people like us. One of our greatest sources of shame is that we've become familiar with a few things about who God is, and we're extremely familiar with a few things about ourselves. And when we juxtapose those two things, and we see that God is holy and we are sinful, when we see that God has a standard and that we haven't measured up, shame is the thing that begins to set in. And every one of us in this room have had the issue of shame. Some are dealing with it presently in a strong way, but we'll all have to deal with this. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to show you where shame first shows up in human history. I want to show you how we tend to try to deal with our shame. And then I want to show you God's plan for dealing with our shame. So if you have a Bible, Genesis chapter 2 is where we'll begin. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to give you one, a free gift from us to you. I'd love for you to see these words with your own eyes. Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3 is where we will begin today. The name of this message is Exposed or Covered. Exposed or Covered. Because these two words um, have a lot to do with the, the, whether or not shame sticks with us or whether or not we can be covered from our shame. So would you stand with me? Genesis chapter 2. Here's what I'm going to do. We're going to stay standing the whole time. I want to look at verse 25, the last verse of chapter 2. Then I want to look at chapter 3, verse 6, and then chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. Make a few comments along the way. But remember, we're looking at the first moment of shame in history. But in this first historic moment of shame, you see a model for how most of us tend to deal with our shame. But you also see God's plan for dealing with our shame. In the beginning, God creates, and he gets to this high point of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So he creates the first human, a man, Adam. Out of Adam, he creates the first woman, Eve. The first marriage in history takes place. And here's what it says. By the way, this is not a marriage sermon, so um, some of you are thrilled about that. Others of you are sad. Here's what it says in 2.25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Why is the author telling us this? The author's telling us this because he's letting us know this was God's intent. This was God's ideal, that we could be fully exposed and not be ashamed. And not just that we would be fully exposed before God, but that we would have this vertical um, relationship with God where we could be fully known in all of our glory and have no shame, but also that there would be this, this horizontal relationship with each other, not just as a husband-wife, although that's the most intimate of relationships in the scriptures, but that we could look at each other and we could be fully known by each other and still have no shame. That was the plan. And you know what God does? He sets Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and he gives them immense freedom. Sometimes we act like God's a killjoy, but he's like, you guys can eat from that tree and that tree, and the good fruit back there in the corner, that can be yours, and you can have this one. You can have that entire row. There's just this one. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Stay away from that one. We act like God's a killjoy, that he doesn't want us to have any fun, and God's like, no, it's all yours except for this one. But of course, like, you know, anybody ever walking down the street with your spouse? You know, if I'm walking down the street with my wife, she's like, Ben, don't look at that. That's helpful, right? I mean, that's really, what you know, I wasn't looking, but now I'm curious. Um, So Adam and Eve are told there's this one place, that there's this one tree. And Satan knows that they've been told that. And so Satan comes in the form of a serpent and tempts them and tells them that if they'll eat from this tree, they will be like God. That sounds quite appealing. And so they go for it. And then I want you to see what happens in chapter 3, verse 6. 
says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Pause for a moment. This is what's known historically and theologically as the fall. This is the moment, Genesis 3, we don't get very far into the story where sin enters the picture. And at this moment, sin happens. And what's going to be a result of the sin of Adam and Eve? Will things go on like they always have been, or will there be a change? Verses 7 through 10. Don't miss this. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. May God bless his word. You can have a seat. So again, what we're doing this morning is looking at the first moment shame occurs in history. From that moment, you see what is still our go-to response thousands of years later. And in this, in a moment, I'm going to show you how God plans to deal with the shame of Adam and Eve and how he ultimately has planned and enacted that plan to deal with my sin and shame and to deal with your sin and shame. A few things stand out, even humorously, when you get into verse 7. Verse 7 says, And their eyes were open." Understand that this is figurative language the author is giving us here. They had not lived with each other with their eyes closed. With me? It means figuratively their eyes were open. Our terminology, the light bulb went off. And then it says something that I think is even more humorous. It says, and then they knew they were naked. Now, don't raise your hands, what I'm about to ask. I'm not even going to look up in case you do. But have you ever been naked and had no clue you were? If you have a story, please like get that out of your mind. I don't even want to know. Isn't that amazing? And they knew they were naked. They had always known they were naked, but they had never felt naked. They had always been fully exposed. There's no, it's not like, oh, we thought we were wearing sweatpants. They had always been without any clothing, without any coverage, but it had always been fine. They never had anything to worry about. Fully exposed before God, fully exposed before each other, and no shame. But when they decide to rebel against God's plan, all of a sudden they are still naked, but now they feel like they're naked. And so what do they do? They do what we still do. They try to find the quickest way to cover themselves. So they begin to sew fig leaves and loincloths. Aren't you glad you're in the New Testament times? They begin to try to cover themselves. And then they hide from God. And you see in verse 9, God asks this question. Again, it's figurative language. God says to them what? Where are you? God has not lost power on his GPS. God does not, he's not clueless about their whereabouts. What what is he saying to them? He's saying to them, what happened? What what changed? And if you look at the text, it says in verse, um, in verse 8, it says that God was, they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid themselves. Now understand this, that God would do that kind of walk on a daily basis. 
And every other time before this moment, when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day, of the day it delighted them. They love knowing God. They love no barriers between them and God and between them and one another. They love for God to come walk alongside them in the garden in the cool of the day. Every moment before this moment, they were delighted that that was the case. But in this moment, they hear the Lord God. And because they're sitting in their shame, they hide themselves. And we've been doing it ever since. We hide ourselves. We try to cover ourselves, not with fig leaves, but some of you are trying to cover your shame with your pursuit of success. Some of you are trying to get wealthy enough to somehow buy your way out of shame. Uh, Others of you are trying to serve extra hours and go on mission trips at this church so that you can work your way religiously out of your shame. This is what we're doing. We're trying to continue the response that Adam and Eve gave. And and let me say this, there's nothing wrong with their desire to be covered. The name of the message today, exposed or covered. They've been exposed, and all of us have. The scriptures say we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No matter if we admit it or not, we're exposed before God. He sees us as we actually are. And so Adam and Eve have this desire to be covered, and perhaps, I hope, you have a desire to have your shame covered. The only problem from Adam and Eve and for you and I is that we are inadequate to provide our own coverage. Like you don't have what it takes. You're not going to work your way out of it. You're not going to smart your way out of it. You're not going to be religious enough to get yourself away from it. We want to be covered, but the, our attempts are inadequate. I just want you to be thinking this morning, in what way are you trying to cover the shame in your own life? Some of you are exhausted because keeping up appearances is tiresome. Some of us try to cover our shame with our own busyness, right? If we ask you how you are, you're like, I've just got so much going on. I've got to do so much. But while you act like you hate that outwardly, some of us internally love being busy because as long as I stay preoccupied, guess what I don't have to deal with? For some of you, the holidays are absolutely miserable. Not just because you have a crazy uncle. They were miserable because you, your company didn't have enough work for you to do to stay preoccupied. And so you had hours that turned into days, for some of you even weeks, where you just sat with the reality of who you are and how do you feel about it. Let me tell you another way we try to cover our shame. We actually cover our shame sometimes by going deeper into our sin patterns. Let me, let me give you a few examples, a couple of, of thoughts here. Let's say that you have shame around the fact that your drinking has gotten out of hand. You know that's not God's plan. You know it's sinful to be drunk. There's a lot of shame sitting on you because of that. And you can barely bear it. And so you begin to think to yourself, I've got to escape this pain in some way. So what do you know that will help escape the shame for a moment? The bottle, right? Or you might say several bottles. Right? And you see how that cycle of shame... Rather than coming out of it, asking God to forgive you and asking God to cover you and to help you, you're now further into it. You're deeper in the shame than you were when you started. Let's say that you have shame around, like so many people do, sexual sin from your past. You begin to think about how you acted out in ways that God had not designed you for. You begin to think about the things that you watched, the things that you participated in, how you were seduced, how you gave into temptation when you should have ran. You begin to think about those kind of things, and this is a prominent one for so many of us, right? And shame just sets in. But at some point, it becomes so unbearably hard to take that you need a little release. You know how you find that release? 
for a moment. So we're all covering our shame in some way. What is your preferred method so far? Rhetorical. I use a number of methods. I'll just become a better pastor. I'll buy my kids stuff. I'll be successful. I'll prove that I'm better than I actually think I am. What's your method? What's your go-to? Let me show you what God does in Genesis 3.21. It's pretty incredible right here. In Genesis 3.21, here's what it says. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Don't you love that? Adam and Eve weren't left with their own inadequate devices for covering themselves. They were exposed in their sin and shame. They rightly, like you and I do, they rightly desired some coverage. And their coverage was inadequate. But that's okay because God steps in. And don't miss the foreshadowing here. Something has to die for them to experience coverage. Are you with me or should we spell it out? You see what's happening? They could provide themselves only coverage that was inadequate. You can provide yourself only coverage that's inadequate. You have the desire to be covered. That's great. Shame, shame by its inherent nature, it has a longing to be covered. And so we attempt this or we attempt that or we go there, we do this or we act like whatever. But on his own initiative, God steps in. And for Adam and Eve, he causes animals to be sacrificed so that he can make a covering that's fitting for them. And now they no longer feel naked. They no longer feel exposed. They no longer feel like they're in their shame. When it comes to the issue of sin and shame, there are two primary ways we often deal with it. One is to pretend like there's nothing wrong. Right? Some of us have just deceived ourselves in thinking that we have it all together. The Bible's really clear that none of us do. The other way that's equally wrong and incorrect is we assume that there's no way out of our shame. So I just want to ask you, which is your default? Is it that you tend to think there's nothing wrong that needs to be covered? Or do you think that there's no covering possible for you? And I want to show you a New Testament text that shows me and you how we can deal with our shame and guilt in an ongoing way. It's in 1 John chapter 1. We'll have it on the screen if you don't want to turn there. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 through chapter 2, verse 2, we see John writing for people who say they haven't sinned or for people who think that their shame is their only alternative. Listen to what he says. Profound stuff. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, so if you're in the first category, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Circle the word all if you're a person who writes in your Bible. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So the plan isn't, here's a license to sin, God will cover your shame, live how you want to. No way. I'm writing these things, John says, so that you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So if you don't think there's anything that needs to be dealt with and covered, he says, you make God out to be a liar. 
That's a bad road, right? If you think it's not possible to have your sin and shame covered, you're wrong on that too. So what does he say? He says, if you confess, if you'll own your sin, stand before God and go like, you know me anyway. I'm not going to hide in the trees with Adam and Eve. You, can, you know. And to confess literally means to agree with God about his decision regarding your sin, that it is sinful, that it is against his ways, that it is rebellious, that it is not what he intends for you. But don't stop just a confession. He wants to cleanse and he wants to forgive. Starts chapter 2 by saying, I'm writing these things to you so that you will not sin. So that's the plan, okay? But he doesn't stop there. He says, but if anyone does sin, anyone else glad? Like some of you might be like um, perfect enough to stop after the first sentence, but I'm like, hadn't got that one yet. God help me. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. What does that mean? He means we have someone who stands before the Father and argues on our behalf. And I don't mean that it's an argument. I just mean it's a representation. And what is he saying to the Father as our advocate? We find out in the title that John gives Jesus in verse nine or verse one. He said, "What do you call him? Jesus Christ." The uh, I see it. Verse one. I don't have my Bible. I just know what it says. But I'm giving you a chance to catch up. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus has a ton of titles in scriptures, like Jesus the Good Shepherd. He doesn't use that here. Jesus the Lover of My Soul. Other places, not here. Jesus the Savior, not here. Jesus the Righteous. Why? Because the reason we have shame is because of our unrighteousness. And so who do we need to be our advocate if we're going to stand before God and be seen as righteous and not be seen as shameful and not be condemned? We need someone who is righteous. That's the whole point. And he says he's the propitiation, which means, big word, which means he's the atoning sacrifice. He's the one who's made payment for what we have done to God. Here's a question I need to ask you, and I want you not to rush through it. Why are you making yourself pay for the sins that Jesus has already paid for? Why are you making yourself, beating yourself up, staying in shame, making yourself try to pay for the sins that Jesus has already paid for? Hypothetically, if I were to hand you an Apple Watch today that I bought you, that's hypothetical, first time guess. We're still just giving you mugs and journals. But <laughs> let's say that I, I spent several hundred dollars after the service, like, hey, I just want you to know I, I, I bought you an Apple Watch. How crazy would it be when you walked out of here in a few moments for you to go across Market Street to the Apple Store in Union Square and to give them several hundred dollars, not for a new Apple Watch, but for the watch that I already bought? Do you know that legally Apple would be unable to take that five or seven hundred dollars, whatever it costs? Do you know that legally they could not take that unless they gave you what? Another watch. But you're not there to get another watch. You're there just to pay for the watch that you already have on your wrist. Like, Ben, that's crazy. And yet some of us are doing that with Jesus. If Jesus needed you to pay for your sins, why is he on the cross? What is he doing suffering as a righteous man, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God if you can pay for it and get yourself there? Let me tell you what he's doing. He's there because there's no other method whereby your sin and shame could be covered, period. That's the only way. 
So Paul begins the amazing chapter of Romans 8 with these words. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. So if you're living in condemnation, a couple things are true. You've never repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus. Or you have, but you're living as though you haven't. If there's guilt, we need to confess. But his plan for us is not to live in shame. That's what the cross was doing away with. In fact, in Hebrews 12, I believe it says that on the cross, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning the shame of the cross. Doing away with the shame. He wasn't just dying for your sin. He was dying for your shame. He wanted to do away with it. Here's what you need to know. Here's what's amazing to me. The one who could condemn us completely doesn't condemn us at all. Don't miss this. The one who knows you better than your mom, the one who knows you better than your spouse, better than your pastor, better than your small group leader, better than your children, the one who knows things about you that your husband of 30 years doesn't know yet, the one who could condemn you completely, looks at the cross and doesn't condemn you at all. Friends, it's time to step out from your life of shame. You're like, but Ben, my past, if you only knew. The cross covered that. But Ben, I have this habit. I have this thing I keep doing. God wants to use that same grace that forgives you to empower you to live differently. Step out from your shame. Step out from your shame. You need to be seen. You need to be honest. You need to be cleansed, and you need to be free. Christ paid an enormous price. Let's stop acting like it wasn't enough. So this morning, we're exposed. We have fallen short of what God wants for us, all of us. We can't work ourselves out of it. We have a desire to be covered, but we are inadequate when it comes to covering ourselves. That's okay. That's the beautiful message of the gospel. In Christ, God has covered your sin. And to the degree that you can A, believe that, and B, live in it on a daily basis, you'll be amazed that your confidence mixed with humility by which you'll pursue what God has for you. But if you stay in your shame, if you, in my view, belittle the cross in that way, if you don't step into the confidence Jesus provides through his death, then you're going to continue to miss out. And God doesn't want that for you, and neither do I. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? I want to give you a chance to respond. I hope all of these messages will be powerful as we talk about the things we need to walk away from. But as I think about the effect that shame has had in my own life, as I think about all of the conversations I have with so many of you about how it affects your life, I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning, wherever you are at in this whole faith in Jesus thing, wherever you're at with the shame and sin thing, if you're someone in the room and you just say this morning, like, Ben, there's never been this moment where I allowed my sin and shame to be covered by Jesus I didn't even think it was possible. I didn't think I could have this relationship with God. But this morning, God's speaking to my heart, offering coverage for my sin and shame. And I want to receive what God has for me. I want to place my faith in Jesus. 
and have him cover me. If that's you this morning, will you just lift a hand just where I can see it? Awesome. He's paid an enormous price, but he's done so out of his desire, not out of some duty. So if that's you, I just want to pray for you, and I'm thrilled that, that you're willing to just say, hey, that's me. God, I pray for the men and women who raise their hands. I pray that they would receive the coverage that comes from Christ. They would experience salvation by that amazing grace. And as they place their faith in you, repent of their sin, I pray that they would receive the covering you've offered to them this morning. But some of us have no doubt given our lives to Jesus, but we're acting as though we're responsible and we have to cover ourselves. I would love to pray for you. If you just raise a hand and say, Ben, I'm trying to cover myself. I'm keeping a distance from God. I'm keeping a distance from the people from the people that are really close to me. Would you just lift a hand up? Say, hey, I, I need to be reminded that Christ has covered me, and I need to live in and out of that coverage. Awesome. God, for these people with their hands up, I pray that you would cover them. God, sometimes we feel like, oh, the shame. Um, God, when we need to confess out of our guilt, I pray that we'd have the courage to do so. But God, once you've forgiven us, I pray that we would walk in the freedom you paid for, Jesus. Pray for these men and women that they would live in your light and they would live in your grace and they would approach you, as the scriptures say, with confidence because Jesus has made a way. Our confidence isn't in us working our way to you, God, but it's in what you've done for us. Jesus, we need to be covered. Thank you that you offer that in your name.